All right. It's going to be a busy morning. We're going to have the Lord's table. And then we're going to have a brief prayer time, and I will explain what that is. But before we do that, we're going to get into the Word, and I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to give God your attention. This is important, and if you're not careful, you can miss what the Lord is trying to tell you. Please take your Bibles once again and turn to the 37th Psalm. In times like these, your plan, your plan, your purpose. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray now that we would set aside the things that would so distract us. I pray that everybody in here would be attentive to you, to your word. This is a simple message, but it is an important message. So Lord, may he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Once again, last week we started with this. Fret not thyself because of unbelievers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. So don't fret. Everything that you saw in the news this last week pales in comparison to the power of God. Instead, look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. There was a man in 1831 visited America, 1831. You've heard his name most likely, Alexis de Tocqueville, or de Tocqueville, however you'd want to pronounce it. He wrote a, a book, actually a book in two volumes, entitled Democracy in America. I want to give you several quotes. Please listen carefully. This is a young man who is an expert in sociology. He has written, he has no agenda. He has simply written what he observed in America. Listen carefully. Upon my arrival... In the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. And the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences resulting from this new stage of things to which I was unaccustomed. He was from France. They wanted nothing to do with religion, many of them. 
In France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion and the spirit of freedom marching in opposite directions. But in America, I found they were intimately united and that they reigned in common over the same country. Now, there's a reason why I'm reading this. The Americans combined the notions of Christianity and of liberty so intimately in their minds that it is impossible to make them conceive of the one without the other, liberty and Christianity. And with them, this conviction does not spring from that barren traditionary faith which seems to vegetate in the soul rather than to live. Religion in America, and he means Christianity, must be regarded as the foremost of the political institutions of that country. For if it does not impart a taste for freedom, it facilitates the use of it. This opinion is not peculiar. Now again, I'm continuing with de Tocqueville. This opinion is not peculiar to a class of citizens or a party, but it belongs to the whole nation. In the United States, the sovereign authority is religious. There is no country in the whole world where the Christian, excuse me, in the whole world, yes, where the Christian religion retains a greater influence than in America. America is still the place where the Christian religion has kept the greatest real power over men's souls. And nothing better demonstrates how useful and natural it is to man. Since the country where it now has the widest sway here is both the most enlightened and the freest. In the United States, the influence of religion, again, Christianity, is not confined to the manners, but it extends to the intelligence of the people. Christianity, therefore, reigns without obstacle by universal consent. Why are we in the trouble that we're in right now? We know why. And it is obvious and it is heartbreaking. But trust in the Lord and do good. God's people never look at a situation and go, what's the use? They look at a situation and say, God, how can you use me? We're going to find out. First of all, again, fret not. Fret not. 
Remember last week, we talked about this. In times like these, you need assurance. You need assurance of your salvation. If you haven't made sure of your salvation, please, by all means, make sure of your salvation. In times like these, you need the Bible. In times like these, you need God's promises. But then we also looked at this, that, you know, we need to have a focus. Every person in here needs to live life on purpose, and that purpose is found in our focuses. So we mentioned last week, first of all, be a Bible student. Don't just blandly read your Bible, study it. Test everything by God's word. There was a lady that died this last week. She wrote a book entitled Jesus Calling. She did not know the Jesus that I know. You can find out through her writings, et cetera, et cetera, that she was out in left field when it came to doctrine. She was a mystic. Folks, be careful what you read. Somebody had better say amen. amen. You be careful. Just because it's found in a quote-unquote Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's Christian. Does not mean that. If you kind of doubt what I am saying, there's another book that you can read entitled Another Jesus Calling. I encourage you to see it. And then focus on your heavenly citizenship. Focus on your earthly home. Focus on your church home. Your brethren need prayer. The preacher needs prayer. We need prayer. Amen? Amen. Lastly, number six in this little list here, focus on your God. Learn him. And having said that, look again in verse three. This is where we come and realize in simple terms, it is worth our time and our focus excuse me, our time and effort to look at this. First of all, the Lord gives you a plan. Trust in the Lord. Spurgeon said this, faith cures fretting. Sight is cross-eyed and views things only as they seem, hence her envy. Faith has clearly clearer optics to behold things as they really are, hence her peace. There is not a place in our lives, folks, there's not a place in our lives that does not demand our trust in the Lord. Did you hear me? There is not a place, your work, listen, your provision, your health, your family, your future, your nation. The word trust is very simple in the Hebrew to put your confidence or security in something or someone. We do not put it in ourselves. We don't put it in that which is fallen. This is what we're to do. We're to put our confidence, our faith, our trust, our security in the Lord. Easy to hear in a message while you're sitting in a church a little bit more 
when it comes to walking out and going, I've got to, I've got to find out, Lord, help me to understand, am I really trusting you? David in Psalm 115 said this in verse 11, ye that fear the Lord, you revere him. You look at him, trust in the Lord. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. A very familiar passage that so many of us know. Psalm 118, it is better to put your trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes, read politicians. It's better to trust in the Lord than to look at someone on television and say, vote for me, I'll put a chicken in every pot, two cars in every garage, etc." You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Proverbs 3, I love it every time I go over this. You know it as well. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Now think about that. All thine heart. And lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And what will happen? He shall direct thy paths. Are you still with me so far? Yes. Yes. Now, now this is, look, this is, the, this is something that's often we hear it so much. We don't take it as seriously as we ought to. It's a yard wide and a mile deep. Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 29 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare. If we live fearing mankind, fearing politicians, in other words, if we live fearing the future and maybe, you know, does the world get messed up? Hey, we'll wind up falling into a snare. We're not going to be able to live like we ought to. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. The word safe there, the, the, the Hebrew word safe means exalted. You'll be lifted up. You won't be in the snare. Remember this from last week. In times like these, once again, in times like these, it's there for you to write this in. You need God's promises. Listen, this is scripture, folks. Listen to the promises and the statements, just a few of them, that are found in God's word for you and for me. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, my strength is made per, per, uh, perfect in weakness, your weakness. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest, yes. casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, now listen, why did I read what I read from de Tocqueville? 
because there was a time that so many more people in America understood this. We have had it washed away from us. We're not looking at God like we once did. Children are being taught not to look at God at all in government schools. The media has done everything it can to wash away the knowledge of God. Disney has done it. Other, other companies, other media companies, they've done the same thing. Folks, we had this stuff taken from us and when we come to the local fellowship, we wind up thinking that 35 minutes of hearing a message on this is going to overcome a week or weeks of going elsewhere. Not going to do it. In times like these, next, you need God's hope. Now again, remember, in the Bible, hope is not a thing of, you know, hope, a hope, a hope. It's a sure thing. It's something that you can look forward to. You might not necessarily see it, but you know it's coming. Psalm 31, 24, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. In other words, this is the plan. Trust in God. Psalm 39, 7. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Psalm 42, 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is, listen, the health of my countenance and my God. The person that always has the fallen countenance, their trust is not in God. The immediate thing that can come out of somebody's mouth, even Christians, is as that old song, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Now, the sad thing is that's going to be going through some of y'all's mind. Let's get back to this. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope, patient because I'm rejoicing in hope, I'm patient in tribulation and continuing instant in prayer. Listen, movements and governments threaten so many aspects of our existence that we thought were secure in our nation. Faith cures that kind of fretting. Trust in the Lord. So first of all, there's God's plan. Trust in God. Watch this. Secondly, we have a purpose. If we're trusting God, if we can trust God, we can live out what God has us here for and do good, and do good. Take your paper, flip it over, flip it over. All right, when I was a youth pastor, and I've even done it here many years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I used to ask teenagers, what would you do, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? Think for five seconds and write it down. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? 
Now, here's something to think about. First of all, whatever you wrote down, that tells you your purpose in life. If you wrote down, travel around the world, that's where your heart is. If it's, I'll build a hospital, well, you know, praise God for that. But if it doesn't have anything to do with the kingdom, we've got a problem. Because we are to trust in the Lord for what the purpose is that we have been given. So let's stop and understand this. Brother Whiteside was mentioning this. We're going to be rekindling our going out into the neighborhood. Why? Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah, but why? And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's why. That's why. I, uh, I, had, my, I, I had my T-shirt on yesterday. And, and by the way, if you're interested in getting this, you can actually you can go on Amazon for 15 bucks. It's a really nice shirt. Bold print. Jesus saves. And I got good compliments on it. I thought, praise God, you know, I'm out preaching from the chest. And somebody's saying, hey, you know, I like it. Yeah, amen. You know, we were at Costco, same thing. You know, people were, uh, people were responding. So praise God for people that know it, but there's people that would look and then they'd look away. They're afraid you're going to say something. No, hey, listen, we got a purpose. The purpose is do good. Now, doing good, praise God for people that plant trees, but this is more than that, much, much more. Stop and think about this. All right, if I surrender to what God's will is for my life, what if it's a waste of time? Answer, if it's God's will for your life, number one, it's not a waste of time. Number two, if you do God's will, God's way, your life will not be a failure. Did you hear that? You can't live for God and do it God's way and be a failure. Because if God is behind it, it doesn't matter what mankind thinks. So trust in God and do good. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law, this ought to be so much of our life. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do, observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good, what's the word? Success. So God gives it, here's my purpose, do good. Yeah, but I feel so empty. You're not doing God's good. Yeah, but you know, I got discouraged. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We're gonna get that out in just a second but there's no reason to be discouraged. Once again, Spurgeon, true faith, true faith is actively obedient. 
Doing good is a fine remedy for fretting. There is a joy in holy activity which drives away the rust of discontent. Listen, God gives us, God gives us his purposes. He doesn't tell us to make one up. He gives us his purposes. Do what is right. Even when others are unfaithful or doing what is wrong, you do what is right. In order to do that, write this down if you would please. In times like these, you need God's power. Interesting note here. Go to Matthew 28, would you? Matthew chapter 28. Look at verse 18, a very familiar passage. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know where the brains are. There's a couple of interesting words that translate power in our Bible. One is this word that is used here, speaking of Christ or Christ speaking. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That is a Greek word that means power to act. It means authority. It denotes ability to perform an action. But beyond that, it is also the right to do something or the right over something. In other words, Jesus is king. He rules. He rules. This authority is nothing, though, unless it is backed by real power. This word, this power of the king or government or deity is power that is given by God. Here's a distinction. One, a word that we use often, dunamis, denotes external power. We have that, Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive dunamis, external power. Dunamis denotes external power. This one, exosia, is the power displayed in the fact that a command is obeyed. I am stepping out, God gives me the power, but Christ goes with me. He gives me the authority to tell people, you need Christ as Savior. I'm telling you, God loves you, but if you die without Jesus Christ, you will die and go to a Christless eternity in a place called hell. We have the authority to tell people that. That is what it's all about. So here, Let's understand, God gives that kind of power, and he's given it to us. There's a plan, there's a purpose. There's a well-known man by the name of David Livingston. Somebody wrote something about his life. I want to read a little bit if I could. David Livingston was a missionary and an explorer. He was journeying down the Zambezi or Zambezi River. He was searching for the ultimate entrance into 
Central Africa from the East Coast. It says the country teemed with elephants, buffalo, and all kinds of wildlife. A thousand dangers encompassed him, from snakes to fevers to savages. He gradually left friendlier areas and pressed on toward uncharted regions filled, (coughs) excuse me, with hostile tribes. His guides were nervous, their nerves were taut, it was rough. Reports filtered in of warriors and headhunters massing against them, ready to massacre his whole party. Livingston pulled his Bible from his baggage, opened it, and ran his finger again across his favorite passage, Matthew 28, 20, and his courage revived. In his journal that evening, January 14th, 1856, he wrote this, quote, felt much turmoil of spirit in prospect of having all my plans for the welfare of this great region and this teeming population knocked on the head. But I read that Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. It is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor. So there's an end of it. I feel quite calm now. Thank God. The next morning, he pressed on. Then wrote this, nothing earthly shall make me give up my work in despair. I encourage myself in the Lord my God and go forward. Later, he returned to Scotland and England on furlough. He was given what he was, he found himself to be considered a national hero. When Glasgow University arranged a ceremony honoring him, Livingston spoke freely of his determination to soon return to Africa. And he said this, but I return without misgiving and without great gladness, and excuse me, and with great gladness. For would you like me to tell you what supported me throughout all the years of exile among people whose language I could not understand? and whose attitude toward me was often hostile, it was this, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. On those words, I staked everything, and they never failed. Now listen, go back to Psalm 37 and look at the last part of verse three. You find a phrase, thou shalt dwell in the land. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. 
Listen to what that translates from. I mean, this is, this is it spelled out. Settle down or dwell in the land and maintain or cultivate your integrity, your steadfastness, your faithfulness. You'll be fed. You will be fed. Now listen to me. Who is it that wants to discourage us? The same one that is busy taking this world apart for his sake right now. When we face conflicts, especially ones in relationships, in marriage, or when we're deeply hurt or we're grieving, we can get to the point where we say, what's the use? What's the use of living the Christian life? What's the use of being in fellowship? What's the use of reading my Bible? So we wind up quitting praying, we quit church, we quit Bible reading, we quit it all. God's solution is this, trust in the Lord, look, do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Don't quit, don't give up, be faithful, be steady, trust me. The Apostle Paul had to tell a church this that was filled with problems, but he encouraged them. And he finally told them, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So simply put, it's this. First of all, God has a plan. Trust him. Trust him. Now, how many of you have ever had a challenge in trusting God? Raise your hand. My hand is up. Amen. We've all been there. We've been there and we've done it. Let me finish. Trust in the Lord. Very simple. And then do good. What do you think God would have you do? What would God, what would God have you do? Now, it's not, you know, well, I think this is what I need to do. What's God telling you? There was a time, and I read it, where there was a foreigner that came here. He looked around and he thought, I can't believe this, what is driving these people. It's not the same today. But it's because so many have given up in the Christian, you know, people that are Christians. Let's not give up. Let's do the plan and live out the purpose. Let's trust in the Lord and do good. Amen? Amen. That's where I want that amen. We're going to pray. And in a moment, we're going to have the Lord's table. 
And then I've got one other thing I'd like for us to do. And then we can head over next door. But can I ask you this? Would you consider doing good, the right thing? Well, preach, I don't know what to do. I tell you what, I got a challenge for you right now. Go home today and pray for 15 minutes. Make out a simple prayer list. We've got a prayer list back there. It's got everybody that comes to this church. You can go through the list. You can go through the missionaries list. You can make it a habit, in fact, because that's how we've got it. If there's one place that God's people need to go to on a daily basis, it's the prayer closet. Don't know what to do? Go to the prayer closet. We've got gospel tracts back there. Leave one someplace. Give it to a friend. Give it to a neighbor. Now, they might turn it down, give it to them anyway. Do good. Learn what we have been commanded to do, and then do it. God's people wind up getting wrapped up in so many things, even quasi-good things that wind up taking us away from the really good thing. We wind up getting self-centered. You ever had to deal with that? Trust in the Lord. That's the plan. Do good. That's our purpose.